The Old Testament reading is from Ezekiel 36, verses 25 through 27. I will sprinkle clean water upon you, and you shall be clean from all of your uncleanliness, and from all your idols I will cleanse you. A new heart I will give you, and a new spirit I will put within you, and I will remove from your body the heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and make you follow my statutes and be careful to observe my ordinances. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. The New Testament reading is found in 1 Corinthians 11. For I have received from the Lord what I also handed on to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took a loaf of bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body that is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Means of grace. That's where we've been for a few weeks now with this expression that uh, John Wesley used to elaborate on spiritual disciplines, uh, these channels, he called them, by which we experience the grace of God in our very lives in various formats. And as we've been in this conversation, we've been unpacking that these means of grace, in fact, grace itself, has always been and will always be about transformation. So, in order to really get a picture of what that means for us, Let's define transformation. If I were to ask you, define for me transformation, what would be your answer? Change. Change? Certainly. Everybody's like, no, that, that's, that's good. That's, that's plenty. <laughs> as a pod? I think of it as a positive. So a positive change. Yeah, certainly. Other to grow? Yes, absolutely. Sure, yeah. The, yes, this is, this is all great. Yeah, transformation. Uh, it's, it's an act of change in the positive. There's growth involved. Yes, to be one thing and then to be another. Uh, for things to be one way and then to be a different way. For you know, this very difficult to really define a word like this without using the word itself or, uh, you know, one of its synonyms. Um, but we understand change because we've experienced it all our lives. I imagine, maybe I'm wrong, I wasn't there for this occasion, but I imagine that today you look and experience life different from the moment you were born, Right? That's probably fair to say. In other words, your entire life has been about transforming you from the person you came into the world as to the person you are right at this moment. Additionally, we see this in uh, every other instance. Um, anybody know what's in the air all around us right now? Pollen. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. <laughs> I walked outside this morning, and my neighbor's roof is half yellow. Yes. 
it's a very black roof and it's half yellow, very confusing. Uh, yeah, it's all around us. But that pollen then eventually gets spread throughout uh, our ecosystem and, you know, pollinates and, and all of a sudden we start to see transformation happening just in the very uh, things that grow around us, making our world more green, more lively. The things that sustain our oxygen are constantly being transformed around us. We understand transformation because we've always been experiencing it. Yet, as often as we experience this transformation, we're very much a people who resist it whenever the time comes. Um, don't, I don't know about, about you all, but uh, my generation uh, is, is hitting our 30s and stuff like that. And, and constantly, on social media at least, I see people posting about, oh my goodness, it's final, it's, it's happening, I'm getting old, please turn back the clock, I don't want this to, to happen, I don't want to go through this change. And, uh, you know, we, we like to resist it. Or, uh, you know, maybe, maybe it's, it's something more like... Uh, Math has changed in school, right? I, I don't know how that happened. I didn't understand that whenever I was growing up, whenever, whenever my parents would say, they've changed math. How do you change math? It's an, it's an enduring concept that always has been and always will be. But now that I see the math that kids are doing these days, I'm like, yeah, they've changed math. Yes. How did that happen? Uh, and and so, we, so we push back against change. We push back against transformation. Uh, even if it's good transformation, even if it's needed transformation, like I don't know, how many of you are still keeping up with your New Year's resolutions? Change is a natural part of our existence as human beings, and yet we're so resistant to it. But change is also the way that God has always been doing business. You know, in, in the beginning, the world was... Uh, was existed in this void, and God, God starts speaking, and there's transformation that happens to this weird sphere out in the middle of nothingness, and suddenly there's light, and then there's oceans, and, and land separated, and vegetation, and animals, and God has always been in the business of transformation as much as we push back against it. Our God is still a God of transformation, making all things new. Now, we get into the business of today. And today, as we are getting into this next step in our conversation on means of grace, which are about transformation, mind you, we get into the topic of the sacraments. And our sacraments are defined as outward and visible signs of an inward and spiritual grace. So these are the things that we do symbolically in order to represent what God is doing internally. And we're very much a symbolic uh, species. Like that's how we just interact. Uh, we use symbolism all the time. I mean, do you know why we light candles at the beginning of a worship service? It's a symbol to, uh, to symbolize the presence of the Holy Spirit with us. Uh, we use symbols all around us all the time, uh, every single day. If you, were, if you have a smartphone and you were to open that up, you'd probably see a whole bunch of apps that all have a symbol on them. Some, you know, one of them might be a blue square with an F in the middle of it, and you see that and you know that's a symbol for Facebook. 
and you know that if you tap on that, what's going to happen? We are a very symbolic group of people, and so we really connect with symbols because we like to assign meaning to things. It helps us experience what's going on for us, even whenever it's a very abstract concept. And so that's where sacraments come into play. And now sacraments, we in the United Methodist Church, we uh, proclaim two sacraments. Anybody know what they are? Yep, baptism and Holy Communion, yes. And we say these two are sacraments because these two are the ones that have been ordered by Christ for us to do. Two symbolic actions that Christ has ordered us to do. Uh, we have at the Last Supper when uh, Jesus is with his disciples, he tells them, do this in remembrance of me. Or at the Great Commission, he tells his disciples, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So we have these orders of Christ to participate in these symbolic actions. But we need to understand how it is that these sacraments play into our, and by extension, the world's transformation. So what do you think? How do sacraments play into our, and by extension, the world's transformation. I know this one isn't an easy question, but I'm asking it for a reason. For us to think about it, if nothing else. The most simple answer is in the word that we've been using these past now five weeks. Means of grace. Yes, that's the most simple answer, that these sacraments are able to transform us, and by extension the world, because of grace. Because grace is a transformative power that is a gift extended by God. Now, as we've been talking about these, uh, these means of grace, we've talked about them in four different categories, as John Wesley kind of uh, subdivided them. The first was individual acts of piety, the things that I can do to demonstrate my devotion. The second were communal acts of piety, the things that we as a church do to demonstrate our devotion. The third came as individual acts of mercy, the things that I can do to care for other people. And then last week we talked about communal acts of mercy. These are the things that we as the church are called to do to bring about global transformation for the sake of other people. Now, sacraments typically fall into that second category, communal acts of piety. These are the things that the church do as a community in order to express our devotion. However, uh, I, I like to set apart sacraments in a whole different conversation because I believe that they are in fact linked to all four of those categories. For instance, baptism is individual piety because it is for the individual as an act of devotion. But it is also communal because it demands the participation of the congregation. Baptism isn't done in a vacuum, it's done with the people. And the people respond saying that, they, that, that we will care for this person and nurture them in faith. And baptism is an individual act of mercy because it calls us to live a transformed life. But it is also a communal act of mercy because that transformed life is the life of the whole church who vows 
and this is the vow that we've taken in our baptism in the United Methodist Church, to accept the freedom and power that God gives you to resist evil, injustice, and oppression in whatever forms they present themselves. Yes, that is in our baptismal covenant. Then again, we look at Holy Communion. It is an act of individual piety because it takes the individual coming forward to receive the elements in a devoted choice. Yet, it is also a communal act of piety because the whole congregation, once again, participates in the same act. We read of the same liturgy. We come forward together. We pray together. This is something that we do. And it is also an individual act of mercy because we are reminded of the grace extended to us as we are called to extend that same grace once we leave the table. And it is also a communal act of mercy in that we have this charge to extend the table of God to all people, not just us. This table is open to all people. So the sacraments, at least in my perspective, feel free to push it back, I, I might be wrong, are themselves kind of set apart from these other four means of grace because they encompass all four in and of themselves. They are sacred sacraments. And as we unpack this a little bit more, we'll see that the sacraments are really God's holy hospitality, an open door and a seat at the table in God's own home. Holy hospitality. Uh, I don't know about you all, but my wife and I, Kristen, we love hosting people. Uh, we love having people over at our house. We, we always have, even when we lived in a tiny apartment in Atlanta, we'd pack 20 or 30 people into our apartment just because we love uh, doing that sort of stuff. And the, the past two years have made things very frustrating for us because we've just been isolated in our home and haven't felt uh, like we could you know, welcome many people in. Uh, but we've started doing it again, and it's been fantastic. We, we really do love hosting people, and, uh, and we're going to, little, little secret here, we're, going, we're starting to work on a plan to start hosting you know, our, our churches at the parsonage here soon, having people come in and you know, doing dinner parties and stuff like that. It's in the works, so, uh, but it, be on the lookout for it. Uh, but uh, in hosting, we also really enjoy going to other people's houses whenever they host because... We really like to find out what they're doing right and to copy it. <laughs> For instance, uh, whenever we first started hosting people over, we did not have charcuterie boards. But then one day, we went to a person's house, and they had a fantastic charcuterie board. Will, am I pronouncing that right? Okay, good enough. <laughs> Uh, you know, have, having the, the sliced meats and the various cheeses and the, the nuts and the jams and everything. And we, we even went out and bought us a really nice charcuterie board for hosting. We really love finding out what other people do uh, so that we can do it as well. Uh, we've seen other things that, that have happened where some people will have like music playing in the background, but it's a very specific kind of music, and so we'll try that as well. Uh, just picking out these other things that people have done when they have hosted us so that we can translate that into our hosting and really enhance the way that we host as a couple. We love opening our doors and welcoming people in and, and, and then providing for them uh, once they're in. It's just a, a really fun way for us to experience life. And I'm not sure where that comes from, but we even did this to, uh, to a really dramatic extent whenever we lived in Atlanta. 
Um, there's not much of a community for it here in Mobile, but in Atlanta, it's huge. Have you ever heard of couch surfing? <laughs> yeah, uh, couch surfing, it's, uh, it's very similar to Airbnb, in which you go and stay in other people's houses, except it's free. You can just go to somebody's house who's a couch surfer and stay with them. Typically, it's like on their couch, but you know, if they have a guest bedroom, it's something like that. Uh, and there are often pleasantries exchanged, but part of the deal is that you spend time together. And so we did couch surfing while we were in Atlanta. We just opened our door to whoever was passing through. Uh, we had everybody from um, extras who were staying, who were uh, in Atlanta, uh, preparing to act for the Stranger for the Stranger Things series that they filmed there. We had uh, people who were. Uh, from South Korea who were traveling from California all the way to uh, Georgia by breakdancing everywhere they went to earn money. It was fascinating. Um, <laughs> and, and it was just, you know, to open our doors, to let people come in, and you just meet some very fascinating people. Now, I say all this to, to, to really emphasize the point of hospitality. We're not good at it by, uh, by any means. We, we have a long way to grow, um, but we have had some really exciting experiences that come out of this. But whenever you are showing hospitality to somebody in this way, there are two particular steps that you go through in order to host someone. The first is to open the door, to welcome somebody, to be able to extend that invitation, to be able to say, our space is open to you. Whoever you are, no matter what you're going through, I'm allowing you into my space. This is, for God, baptism. Baptism is the invitation, the open door, that allows uh, we as sinners to enter into the Holy of Holies with God. And we do baptism with water. Right? It's a, our symbolic act. And we use water because water has been, uh, throughout Scripture, the baseline symbol for so many different things. In fact, water is mentioned in Scripture more than words like faith or hope, prayer, worship. Water is mentioned in, those, in there uh, more than those words. Uh, from, from the moment that uh, God rescues Noah's family from the flood to the uh, passing through the red or reed sea by the Israelites to the crossing over the Jordan, etc., etc., all the way up through the baptism of Christ and uh, you know, Jesus walking on water, stilling the storm. Uh, water has been a symbol in Scripture to demonstrate God's divine activity in the lives of human beings. And it's pretty fitting because, well, we, could, we would not be wrong in saying that water is life. Anybody know how long you can live without water? Three days. Yeah, roughly three days. Uh, some, some people are better at this than others. I wouldn't recommend trying it. Drink plenty of water. In fact, uh, I'm a big advocate for carrying around a water bottle with you at all times. Uh, it, it's... <laughs> this is going to sound dramatic, but it has transformed my life. <laughs> I love carrying around a water bottle. And I also love getting new water bottles. My wife gets on to me for that. <laughs> 
Uh, water is life. And so by our understanding of that and the way that you know water permeates our world, literally over 70% of our world is water, over 70% of us as physical beings is water, water is life, we use water to represent that life in Christian life. And in fact, uh, in the early church, uh, the life of a Christian did not really begin until they were baptized. You see, in the early church, uh, People were allowed to come into the worship space and hear the word of God uh, spoken, but that's as much as they could participate in the life of the church. It wasn't until they were baptized, typically on Easter Sunday, that they were welcomed into the full congregation, allowed to participate in Holy Communion, and were given all of the rights and privileges thereof. Baptism was the invitation to people into the life of the church. It has also been uh, carried on from that to become the invitation to Christian discipleship uh, in its various formats. In the process of baptism, in our baptismal covenant, we have many different steps that call on the individual and their family and their sponsors to say, yes, we want to be a part of this, and the congregation to respond saying, yes, we want to support and nurture you. And then we have the uh, laying on uh, of, of water, whether by sprinkling, pouring, immersion, uh, etc., that, that symbolizes the uh, death and resurrection of Christ uh, in, this, in this beautiful cleansing way. In fact, uh, if you were to look in our very own Book of Discipline of the United Methodist Church, in uh, Article uh, 17 of the Articles of Religion of the United Methodist Church, you would see that baptism is defined as a sign of, and these words are specifically chosen, regeneration or the new birth. The baptism is meant to symbolize this new life that we have accepted, the life of grace that has been extended to us by the love of God. Baptism is God's invitation for us, welcoming us into new life, a transformed life, a life of grace. This is God opening the door for us and saying, I want you here with me. And then the, there's the second part of hosting, right? The first part is welcoming somebody, uh, and that's where we see baptism come into play. The second part is providing or sustaining somebody. And sustaining is kind of a weird word to think about hosting, but give it just a minute here. Uh, whenever we're talking about sustaining, we're talking about uh, caring for the person who has come into your household. Now, oftentimes this shows up in whenever somebody first comes into your house, I, I would imagine, um, at least I understand the formality to be, that we say, can I get you something to drink? You know, something like that. Glass of water, something more exciting. Uh, welcome. Like, we, want to, we want to care for you. Um, and, and then, you know, sometimes there's a meal involved and that's prepared as well. It's this process of caring for the person in a more intimate level. So there's the welcome, and then there's the sustaining. And for God, the sustenance is in Holy Communion. And I love that it's in Holy Communion, uh, which is coming to the table to receive this food, the bread and the wine or juice, and because it plays on a very core human experience. We talked about how long we can go uh, without water. The second thing is hunger. 
that's a very powerful experience, especially if you're somebody like my wife Kristen, who if she does not eat at her uh, specific times, she gets hangry. You gotta give her a lot of space until she gets some food. Babe, if you're watching this, I'm sorry. <laughs> hunger is a very powerful human experience. It's a driving force for us. In fact, hunger is very much one of the reasons why humanity has gotten to the place that we are right now. Without that drive of hunger, we just kind of die off. <laughs> we, we, that drive to sustain ourselves through hunger is very powerful. Uh, but not just with food, we have hunger for other things as well, right? We use that word hunger to convey other kinds of concepts. And God recognizes this and utilizes this when it comes to our spiritual journeys as well where we have this longing for something more, something deeper, something more profound and powerful, something intimate in our life. We have a hunger for it. And we come to the table, and that is where we find satisfaction. Now, we do, uh, we practice Holy Communion regularly in Christian life to acknowledge that, that to be sustained, we do something like this regularly. You have to eat pretty regularly in order to stay alive. Same in our spiritual lives. We come to the table regularly. Now, uh, in, in our church, we do this on the first Sunday of each month. John Wesley said, anytime you meet together, you should do this. Uh, and there are many churches who do that. Every single time they gather together, they have Holy Communion. Uh, it's important to do this regularly because the table is where we encounter Christ through what he has done, which is his sacrifice, through what he is doing, which is transforming us, and what he will continue to do, which is sustain us. It's at the table that we encounter the real presence of Christ. Holy Communion taps into our, into our hunger for more. But in this case, it's that more which satisfies. You might recall when Jesus is tempted in the wilderness, uh, Satan says, speak to these stones and they will turn to bread. And Jesus says that a person does not live on bread alone right, but on the very word of God. And who do we call the word of God if not Christ? See, there's all of these themes and symbolism at play whenever we talk about sacraments, but it's when we come to the table that we are sustained, very much like whenever you're hosting somebody, there's typically some kind of meal involved, even if it is just a charcuterie board. Uh, maybe it's an entire, you know, seven-course meal, which sounds absolutely thrilling and like far too many forks. As we acknowledge the importance of the sacraments, as we acknowledge the way that God is extending this holy hospitality to us, we see how God has welcomed us with open arms and open doors through baptism. And then God is sustaining us, providing for us in holy communion. My challenge for us today is to remember that you are called to transformation. And what I mean by that is the sacraments are God's holy hospitality with this aspect of transformation in grace. But hospitality, this kind of hospitality, isn't meant to just be a benefit for us. It's supposed to be something that we learn from. Very similar to how Kristen and I uh, enjoy going to other people's houses to learn how they host 
people, we're also supposed to learn from God's holy hospitality and how we can host people by welcoming them, opening the door, and then by inviting them in and providing for them at the table. By extending a welcome into God's own house and by providing a seat at God's own table, we are called not only to participate, but to also go and do likewise. In our transformation, we are called to welcome others. In our transformation, we are called to provide for others. And in our transformation, the door of God's home is always open to us, unconditionally. And in our transformation, God constantly sustains us. These sacraments are powerful. These sacraments are important. These sacraments are a very pivotal means of grace in our life. And we practice them in order to remember that by grace we are called to transformation. Let us pray.